Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Please check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. started the sermon this time. That's a big step in the right direction. That's pro- progressive sanctification in action, learning from our mistakes. Oh, Lord, speak through me today. Jesus, I need you. We all need you. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for purchasing us. Lord, we thank you that we are your bride and that you will come for your bride perfect, spotless, blameless, that where you are, we may be also. In Jesus' name, amen. So, there's no overheads today. Woohoo! We're going to do this old school. So, in the seats in front of you, you will find one of these, yes. This is called a Bible. Now, in the olden times, they made these out of wood. And they would smash it up into a pulp called paper. And uh, that is what um, uh, an Amazon reader was to in the olden times, like the pioneers and everybody. And so we're going to use one of these today. Um, It's a good thing I toned back and and didn't use the 150 scripture references that my dad would have normally done. (laughs) My son-in-law was always like, I knew when Frank was preaching, it would be a scriptural decathlon. (laughs) <laughs> but uh, we're, we're, we're cutting it back. We're going to go ahead and start off in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you guys want to get ready. And uh, it's interesting, the paper Bible, the, the, the old book. You know, nowadays we all depend so much on our phones and on our computers. And in today's cancel culture, it's really easy to erase things. And when you actually have something with, which is ink on paper, it stays. They can't take that away from us. So I would encourage all of you in, in today's climate to actually, if you don't have one, get an actual Bible Bible so that uh, that resource isn't taken away from us. <laughs> but anyway, over the, so over the last couple years since I've been here, one of the things I love is, is, is how pastor does the exegesis and he digs in and, and he, he gets really into the, the root words and the Greek and everything so that we know where the Bible is coming from in its original context so that we can actually grow in the actual meaning of Scripture and not what our watered-down, westernized version of it is, which makes me really happy. You know, we, We've laid the foundations pretty clearly what the gospel is, the preeminence of Christ, the holiness, the otherness of God, the inerrancy of Scripture. And, you know, by now, everybody here knows that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone. It's not of works that any man should boast. It's a gift of God. Yet repentance means more than just saying a a little magic prayer. It's, it's turning away from our sins. As, as John the Baptist said, it's bearing fruits in keeping with repentance. We can't just say that little magic prayer and then live like hell and expect to spend eternity in heaven. 
And even if we do, we'd find ourselves really miserable in heaven. Because, you know, you see time and time again, especially, you know, as people pass that don't know the Lord, you're at that, that funeral service and they're going, I just know that he's up there drinking beer with Jesus. And it's like, wait, no, I'm not sure if that's right. You know, and they're like, oh, he'd swindle you out of, you know, 500 bucks before you could, you know, I'm sure he's, he's ripping off the Apostle John right now up in heaven. It's like, no, that's not how it works. That's not how it works at all. You know, and last time I, I, he, they were gone, had me teach a little bit, and we saw a little bit of what the throne and what heaven is actually like, which is pretty frightening for some people and yet awe-inspiring, uh, what the presence of God is actually like. One of my favorite quotes from Pastor Sherman is, God did not, Jesus did not come to make you a better version of yourself. He came to make you a new creation. And I was like, yeah. He, want, he came to raise the dead to life. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, starting, you know, verse 17 is the highlight. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So, we see it's not just, uh, yay, my sins are forgiven and, and God doesn't see them anymore. And then I can continue doing it and just, you know, that, that's not how it works. This is supposed to affect our entire worldview, how we view the world around us, how we interact with the world around us, how we view God, and how we interact with him. If we take the whole thing in context, starting in verse 16, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry, the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God is reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, it's talking about the ministry of reconciliation, our entire life focus is different. We're not living for ourselves anymore. In fact, you know, chapter divisions are not necessarily uh, inerrant. <laughs> They're not divinely inspired. This was one big letter. Let's keep reading this run-on sentence because that's what the Apostle Paul loved to write was one big run-on sentence and then we'd chop it up into pieces. Working together with him then, we appeal you not to receive the grace of God in vain, for he says... In a favorable time, I listened to you, and in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. It goes on to talk about not putting obstacles in people's way. I've, I've heard that, that, that passage there, the beginning of, of 6. I, I heard it used to tell me why you know, the, the song Stairway to Heaven was evil. And how by listening to it, I was betraying God. 
They're like, see, he says they're still trying to change the road you're on, but now's the day of salvation. You shouldn't be, you know, putting that filth in your ears. Now that's neither here or there. We got to take it in context and see more of what it actually is. We're not supposed to take the grace of God in vain. We're supposed to grow in that. We're not supposed to just get in the door and be happy with that. You know, you look at the parable of the talents. You know, the guy who got more, got more. And the guy who didn't do anything with what God had given him didn't get anything out of it. In fact, what he had was taken away from him and given to the guy who had more. That doesn't sound fair. Because <laughs> it's not. No one promised you fair. If anyone promises you fair, they're either lying to you or, telling, or selling you something. I'm not selling you anything. I'm bringing you the gospel, the truth. So when we put this passage into context, we recognize that this is also about the, re- the ministry of reconciliation. We're not only supposed to grow in our faith. We're not only supposed to grow in our sanctification. We're also supposed to continue beseeching people on on behalf of God the Father. Be reconciled to God. But we can't do that if we don't know what God has for us, if we haven't received it ourselves. You know what I'm saying? If we eat once a week, we're going to starve. We need to start developing and growing in what God has for us individually. We have to grow in our faith, bring the message of reconciliation, the good news, the gospel to those around us. So what do we do with this new world that we're born into? Let's go to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal you, therefore, brothers, to pres- by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world any longer, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can test and approve what the will of God is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Mm. So if we're to serve God, we need to know what he wants so that then we can walk in it, keeping his law not to be saved, but because we're saved. You know, so many times... The westernized church is going, wait, 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 you can't be doing that. Why? Because that's the law. Well, in Romans chapter 7, Paul says the law is good. You know, pastor has talked about multiple times how it reveals God's glory, his attributes. It restrains sin, and it also reveals his nature, his beauty, his perfection, so that we can walk in that. We're not supposed to keep living like hell. We're supposed to walk in newness of life. And this being the first Sunday of the year is a great chance for us to check our azimuth, as a friend of mine said, and and look, see our trajectory. Where are we going? Are we drawing closer to Jesus? Are we walking deeper in the things that he has for us? Are we laying aside more and more of ourselves and pursuing him? Or are we just trying to keep him in our back pocket? So we do these things because we are saved. Spiritual disciplines that many in our modern church reject as legalization are actually some of the most transformative, growth-spurring acts of worship that were given to man. And it all starts with our worldview. 
There are so many myths that we've accepted because we've never bothered to look for ourselves. We've always been told that, you know, Jesus was the change from the bloodthirsty, angry God of the Old Testament. And now all of a sudden we have forgiveness and love and all of that. But if you actually read Scripture, fire and wrath in the Old Testament in, in and of itself, I mean, that's the result of God's righteousness. But on every single page, you find Jesus. On every single page, you find God's grace and God's mercy. That fire and wrath was actually grace and mercy in and of itself. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So when you go back and read the Old Testament and recognize Jesus in it, you know, it's that whole worldview. I remember being stoked as a kid. My parents raised me to be a nerd. So they were like, read the Webster's 1828 Dictionary and dig into it so that you know what words mean, because words mean things. And I came across certain things, and I remember seeing in there, because Webster was a believer, you know, Jesus, the Christ. He was the transformation from the angry, fire and wrath God of the Old Testament to the new covenant of grace and mercy, which... Yes, he is the embodiment, but it, there was no change in God. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he is the everlasting, eternal second person of the Godhead. It's by him and through him all things were formed, right? John chapter 1. I mean, we look back. Who was it, do you think, that walked with Adam in the garden? No man has seen the Father and lived, oh, but Jesus was there. He walked with them. Who was it? that showed up and took their really, really horribly made aprons of fig leaves that they tried to use to cover themselves with, performed the first sacrifice, slaughtered an animal, and made them leather clothes to cover, them with, cover themselves, to cover their shame, to keep them warm. Who was it, I mean, let's go a little bit farther forward. Who was it that showed up to Cain before he killed Abel and said, hey, why are you upset? Sin's at the door. It's knocking. It's waiting to come in. Who was it that was talking to, to Cain there? It was Jesus. Who was it that after Cain killed Abel showed up and said, dude, where's your brother? And then who was it that gave Cain that mark so that the avengers of blood would not murder him? That's mercy. You want to you say that's, that's legalism and that's righteousness and wrath? No, that's mercy. We haven't even gotten past the first family yet. Who was it that showed up and had barbecue with Abraham to tell him, hey, guess what? Sarah's pregnant. That was Jesus. Who was the angel of the Lord on Mount Moriah that said, oh, hold on, hold on. I know I told you to sacrifice your son, but because you've done this, it's going to be through your family. The angel of the Lord who came and provided the sacrifice, Yeshua, Jesus, the angel of the Lord, not an angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord. When you dig into scripture, you start recognizing the differences. Who was it on Mount Sinai that ate with the 70 elders and didn't lay his hands on them? Thank God and they saw the God of Israel. When you, when you read in, in Exodus, 
when he made the covenant with the people of Israel. It was Jesus. Who was it at the Battle of Jericho? It was Jesus. You know, we're just now getting into the establishment of the people of Israel. Jesus is there every single page. He's showing up in one way or another. In the law, there's so much foreshadowing of who and what Jesus is. This book is more than just a book. This book is more than just the history of the world. This book is God revealing himself to us. So without an accurate understanding of Scripture, then we fall prey to, uh, to uh, the slow and steady distortions of human traditions instead of coming back to the Word. But we won't know what's in the Word if we're not in the Word. You know, I remember as a kid growing up, you got to be in the Word, you got to read for an hour a day. No, setting these, these, these timelines and things, that's where you start falling into legalism. I got to have my one-hour devotion. If you're doing it because you feel that's what God has called you to, yes. If, if you're doing it because somebody told you you have to spend an hour in Scripture every day, or else. That's legalism. And we are the bride of Christ. We're free from those restrictions because we should be doing these things out of a, a heart, a desire to, to, to interact with our Savior, the one who purchased us. So without these, this, this understanding of Scripture, we fall into error. Error gets bigger and bigger and bigger and leads to cults. Last time, you know, I was joking around about how, you know, we in the Western world see it as, you know, God and Satan duking it out for the souls of man. You know, that's not it at all. Satan has to ask permission to attack us. But it's that worldview that created cults like, mm, say, Joseph Smith grew up in that, in that lifestyle, in, in, that, in that mythology. And so he's like, well, how does that work? Oh, I know. So Jesus and Satan are duking it out. They must be equals. They're spirit brothers. They're twins. And God the Father just, you know, and next thing you know, you've got this whole weird false theology that's leading millions of people into hell. It was born out of that culture. It's just a few steps. Uh, my daughter showed me a, a really hilarious uh, meme about that, and I was, I was hoping to have overhead so I could show it to you because it made me laugh, but I don't know. Apparently, it wasn't meant to be. But that viewpoint is what Halel wants because it glorifies Satan. Halel was Satan's original name. Halel ben Shekar, the son of the morning. He was a created being. He was an angel. He was a cherub. We already covered all of that. He is not what his five I am's claimed he would be. So never, nevertheless, we're in the cosmic war regardless because of those five I wills. And so we need to be prepared for it. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, because Scripture says we are in a war, starting in verse 3. Share in suffering as a good soldier for Jesus Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. 
An athlete does not win the crown unless he competes according to the rules. It's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of his crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So we can't just sit here and warm pews and expect God to use us. We need to, to dig in and do what pleases Him, not us. And in a few verses later, he says, study to show yourself approved. Approved by God as a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Well, how do we do that? By spending time with him, by interacting with him. He is the true and living God. He's the God of the living, not the dead, Jesus said. We need to be seeking and interacting with him. And he does that through his word. In the Garden of, of Gethsemane, D Jesus didn't say, Father, this is too hard for me. Never mind. Forget it. You're a kind and loving God and you forgive, so I'm done. We don't have to do it this way. This is too hard. No. He said, not what I will, but thy will be done. Even when he taught us the Lord's Prayer, you know, it's, it's not, you know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. My kingdom come and my will be done on earth as it is. No, it's, that's not it at all. It's thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It's not what we want, it's what he wants. And our prayer life isn't to get what we want from God. It's to transform us and our will and our hearts and our minds into pursuing his will. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called Mere Christianity that is fantastic. And in it, he talks about what is the entire purpose of this Christianity thing? It's to make earthly creatures into heavenly ones. So we're birthed into this new life, and degree by degree, inch by inch, God is sanctifying us. I, I, it's funny because I was driving over, and, 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 the, and the pastor that was on the, on the radio was talking about how Paul, writer of two-thirds of the New Testament, <laughs> was saying, not that I have attained it, but I press on towards the goal, forgetting what lays behind and continuing forward in the onward, upward call of God in Christ Jesus, wanting to lay hold of that for which he has laid hold of me. So God lays hold of us, but then we are to lay hold of what he has for us. We're not just supposed to you know, sit there limply and be like, okay, cool, you got this, God. No, he created us for good works, which he prepared in advance, right? We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared in advance so that we can walk in them, but we're still supposed to walk in them. So it's only in submitting ourselves to God that we can resist the devil and then have him flee. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses, verse 14, he says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, and turn from their wicked ways and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. People love quoting that verse. I love quoting that verse because that's a promise. And we are called by his name. You know? But the context is, when I've shut up the heavens, when my judgment has come, 
when you're scattered abroad because you refused to listen to me and do what I told you, I'm still here. I see judgment in our nation right now. I see lots and lots of judgment. But God says, if my people who are called by my name, that's us, will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways and seek my face. I got a lot to turn from, you know. And you always hear that. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, I will, wait a minute, what happened to the the whole middle section? There's, There's a whole process here that God wants us to do so that he will use us. And it's not a works thing. It's a righteousness thing. You know, Moses didn't get to go into the promised land because he, because God told him, speak to the rock, and he hit it. And God's like, hey, you misrepresented me. You're not going into the promised land now. I'll let you see it, but you're not crossing the Jordan. I'm sending Joshua in there. Doesn't mean Moses didn't go to heaven. Doesn't mean Moses lost his salvation. It means there are consequences for our actions. So it's time for us in this new year to move into the offensive. Jesus said, the gates of hell will not stand against us. Those are defensive things, not offensive things. Gates are to keep people out, keep plunderers from coming in. The gates of hell will not stand against us. We need to get on the offensive. We need to stop sitting and waiting for the enemy to bring the battle to us. We need to walk in maturity. And I'm not saying God can't or won't use us if we don't grow in maturity. Because I've seen, you know, baby Christians get used like nobody's business. However, we're missing out on a deeper, richer relationship. You know what? Maybe I should just redirect for just a minute. The... I've covered the battle plan pretty much now. But there's something that I've kind of left out. I've, I've made allusions to it, but I haven't really dug into it. And this, my friends, in John chapter 14, Jesus said, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms or dwelling places. King James says, mansions. Ooh, everybody's like, yeah, I got a mansion. That mansion ain't going to matter, except for the builder of the mansion. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I prepare a place for you, I'll come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way that I'm going. That. That was the betrothal ceremony in biblical culture. That was line by line. The, 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 the two fathers would get the husband and, or the, the, the bride and groom together, and they'd seal that contract, and he would say that. I go now to prepare a place for you, that where I am, you may be also. And then he'd go and, you know, my dad always pointed to this. He's like, he, he, the son would go and slap four pieces of cardboard up to make a little shanty on the side of the house and go, okay, dad, I'm ready. And the dad would go, no. 
and the groom's friends would come by as he's working on the house, and they'd go, hey, you going to go get your bride yet? And he's like, no one knows the day or the hour, just my father. Oh, wait, Jesus said that somewhere else in here too, didn't he? We're the bride of Christ. Have you guys met my wife, Erin? I love the living schmaget out of that woman. And I love spending time with her. It's not like, hey, you met my wife, Erin? I see her like for an hour once a week every so often. Other people tell me about her and what she's been doing. That's not how it works. When we were, when we were engaged, when we were betrothed, which is where we are right now, the Holy Spirit is the down payment, the betrothal uh, earnest money that's laid down for us. We wanted to get to know each other as much as possible. You know, whether it be, you know, what bands we listened to, what we grew up with, stupid stories of, of this and that. Every little thing, we were getting to know each other. And then it continued after we got married. And, you know, we got to know each other even, even better, you know. Unfortunately, because, you know, of our culture, I didn't reveal a lot of bad things about myself to my wife. And so, therefore, when the time came, and you know, but she forgave me and she, she loved me anyway. Just like Jesus sees all those things. We can't hide those things from him. And a lot of times we think, well, I'm not going to dig in because you know, I've been doing this or that. Or I've done that or this or you know, blah, blah, blah. We make all these excuses not to spend time with our beloved. When Jesus comes and takes us to himself, are we going to spend eternity with our beloved or are we going to spend eternity with a stranger? I want to spend eternity with my beloved. I want to know everything about him so that I can be even more surprised when he shows us the depths and the riches of the fullness of what he's done for us and how he's done these things. I want to know him better. And he's given us this opportunity to have a rich, full, deep relationship with him. And here we are in this time when people make all these promises that they have no intention of keeping. You know, I'm going to get in I'm going to get in, in shape, or I'm going to do a cartwheel, or I'm going to eat vegetables, whatever it is. And then, you know, don't do it. Forget that. Let's take this new opportunity, this new cycle, to know Jesus more and new and deeper and better. Because the more we taste and the more we see, the more we realize he's good. And the more you're going to want. Our culture despises fasting, but there's, you know, as you can tell, I don't fast much. But there are things that he has. And Jesus said that we will fast. You know, the Pharisees asked him, how come your, your disciples don't fast? And he says, well, when the bridegroom's with you, you don't fast. You're partying. But the bridegroom will be taken from them, and they will fast. And then in another passage, he says, when you're fasting, don't put dirt on your head and come staggering in all bedraggled looking. I haven't had anything since yesterday night at midnight. No. You, you do your normal thing because fasting takes us out of the way. It removes our desires 
between us. And again, it's not, it's not a, all right, I'm going to get into this fast and I'm going to do a 48-hour fast and I'm going to get what I want from God. No. It's I'm going to take myself out of the way so I can see what God wants out of me. And it changes everything. So I just wanted to encourage you guys this year. Get to know your beloved. Grow in him. Start doing those things that we, as a culture, have, have been, you know, fallen into leaving off because of this easy believism that we have in our culture. So that when he comes, he can, we can hear those words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. That we, the bride of Christ, will be spotless and blameless when he comes. Not that we did it. That he did it. That he prepared this. There's so many other verses that we can get into, but I think pretty much that covers it. So, let's pray. You've been listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead, a production of First Baptist Church in Boron, California. Our website address is fbcboron.org. And would you please consider partnering with us financially as we work to share the hope and the gospel of Jesus Christ with our community and our world.